Welcome to Global, a podcast from the International Republican Institute. I'm Dan Munns, IRI's Director of Communications. In this series of Global, we've been meeting democracy-first responders, the politicians, activists, government officials, and everyday citizens who are working to respond to the COVID-19 crisis successfully and protect their country's democratic institutions. Today, we're bringing you a conversation with Mesoud Gebeyehu, the executive director of the Consortium of Ethiopian Human Rights Organizations. At the onset of the pandemic, Mesoud's consortium called for the Ethiopian government to implement prevention methods according to WHO standards and respect freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Mesoud spoke with IRI's Travis Green about his own experiences in Ethiopia and his hopes for continued democratic progress in the country. Mesut Gebeyehu, thank you so very much for taking the time to, to speak with us today and kind of give us some of your insights on how the coronavirus is impacting democracy in Ethiopia. So even before COVID-19 reached the crisis levels in Ethiopia, the Consortium for Ethiopian Human Rights Organizations encouraged the government to put clear guidelines on the potential restrictions to civil liberties. Ethiopia postponed elections for August 29th and declared a state of emergency on April 8th to fight the coronavirus. While Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed warned of grave legal measures against anyone who undermines the fight against the pandemic, what has your perception been of the government's response to your call for respect for human rights during this period? I would like to say thank you. Uh, my name is Masoud Kabayo. I am the executive director of uh, the consortium of uh, Ethiopian human rights organizations. Before this COVID was uh, an issue in Ethiopia, in the middle of March, we have been discussing about what possible scenarios would, would, would it have implication on, on our democracy because uh, we have a scheduled election. The civil societies are very weak. Uh, the government won't listen to civil societies in the past couple of years. But... Uh, on the 27th of March uh, 2020, we have uh, released a press release uh, on how the government should manage, especially on the on the COVID-19 responses. Civil and political rights shall be given uh, much emphasis, and uh, we made uh, a very strong messaging uh, so that these issues, like you know, demonstrations would be restricted, peaceful uh, uh, freedom of association would be even uh, at, at risk, freedom of expression. So, uh, our constitution uh, under Article 93 provided that only four rights are non-derogable. The others would be derogable in the times of state of emergency. And then, uh, the time when we issue a press release, uh, only one region has declared a state of emergency and the other regions and the federal government didn't do. But there has been like high probability that the federal government uh, would have a state of emergency. And in that statement, we emphasize that the government should give uh, much emphasis to civil and political rights. And the purpose of the state of emergency is just for uh, public health issue. So security people like they used to do in the past couple of uh, state of emergency that we had, they should apply this state of emergency with a very, a very caution and with a uh, human rights-based uh, approach. Uh, yes, uh, maybe in relation to the election, Actually, uh, it is to be noted that Ethiopian reformist Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came to power in 2018. That was really breakthrough for us because many of human rights defenders, many of journalists, many of uh, uh, almost all, almost all opposition parties have been in exile either or in prison. So uh, 
Uh, most people who have been in prison because of their dissent were released. Uh, most Many people who have been exiled were back to Ethiopia uh, and they formally started to register and function as, as a local uh, political party. So that was really a very fantastic. And even for human rights uh, organizations, it was very difficult for the last uh, couple of uh, years for, for advocacy for those uh, civil society organizations working on human rights and uh, democracy, generally on advocacy. So uh, this was really uh, a very uh, amazing change that, that we, we didn't have in our history. Uh, and this election is something that we, 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 we all were eager. So civil societies, we have a very reformed uh, national electoral agency. Uh, all civil societies have been very eager in voter education. Uh, all political parties, we had more than 100 political parties, but all have been trying to reach to their constituencies. Uh, the ruling party made many adjustments. So these all preparations have been underway, and the election was scheduled for uh, August. But very unfortunately, uh, it was very difficult for the National Electoral Board uh, to conduct some preparatory works like registering, registering voters, registering candidates, voter education, and some preparatory works. And for that, uh, the National Electoral Board uh, has submitted a recommendation for the House of People's Representatives, the National Parliament, uh, to decide. And it is only uh, two days before that the, the, the National Parliament uh, referred the decision of the, the National Electoral Board to a standing committee to come up with recommendations. And uh, very recently, uh, the government also discussed with political parties and some civil societies with uh, alternative mechanisms uh, because the election is already uh, uh, postponed. It, it, is, it is unfeasible to, to have it before September. And by September, by the last week of September, uh, the term of uh, the current government will end. Then, we don't, unfortunately, we don't have even constitutional clauses, very clear clauses in the constitution that warranted existing government to continue. So, uh, political parties and the ruling party are discussing on how to fill this constitutional vacuum. In relation to uh, the state of emergency, actually, we, we really uh, were worried that most of the restrictions, if, for instance, if lockdown comes, then many of Ethiopians are very poor, so they can't afford uh, for food, so they need to have something to eat, and the government can't provide that. So uh, this was uh, what we have been uh, asking the government to take it seriously. And indeed, there is no that total lockdown so far, uh, but like transportation and other public trans services have been decreasing the number of people, uh, the number of service users. So, so far, uh, even uh, even if we, we wanted the government not to use excessive force in the implementation of the state of emergency, so far, uh, more than five people were killed in relation to the implementation of the state of emergency. Many people were imprisoned, including a very known uh, human rights defender and political party leaders. Uh, so still the situation, I mean, like the way they try to manage uh, the, the, the problem is uh, not that human rights is uh, friendly. But when we see generally the, the, the space for democracy uh, and how the COVID 
brought about danger to our democracy. It is really very much obvious that the COVID has brought about a very challenge for us because it is only for the last two years that civil societies, political parties, and the ruling party come together and discuss on national agenda issues. So our democracy is at very infant stage. And the election was pushed to August because uh, the National Electoral Board, the, uh, the National Electoral Law and other preparatory workers were too late to make it early like May or around. So uh, postponing the election would have many much consequences uh, in the fate of the country, the fate of our democracy, the fate of the civic space which is opening. So these are some of my reflections on these issues. There's a couple of things that I want to follow up on. You kind of talked about the, the state of civil society and like you just mentioned, Ethiopia in the last couple of years has been going through quite the transition. And how do you see this crisis specifically impacting CSOs across Ethiopia? Is, is this weakening civil society, do you think? Or weakening the, the position and the ability of civil society to be more engaged at the national level? Yeah, as I tried to mention, uh, civil society, in, the, in the last couple of years, for more than 10 years, the only civil society law, which was repealed in 2019, uh, which prohibited local civil society organizations from receiving foreign funding, uh, even not more than 10%, uh, and provided that it is very difficult for uh, civil society organizations to raise funding locally. Uh, the civil society's capacity is now at a very, very uh, weak level. But provided that we have uh, that reform, uh, the civil society law amended, uh, many donors uh, who are working on democracy, working on human rights, have been very interested in the Ethiopian reform and uh, come up with some support. Uh, and we have been also making some preparatory work for the voter education for the election, uh, some organizing some dialogue among the political parties, civil societies, as well as, well as social movements. Maybe starting from 2012 in Ethiopia, there has been a very difficult time for uh, the civic space and uh, the, old, uh, the old EPRDF, the old ruling party, I mean, which actually the, the party is not yet changing, only uh, the old one, the European People's Revolutionary Party, now changed its name to the Prosperity Party. But the old party, which is a coalition of four strong national uh, coalition of uh, four uh, nationalist parties, uh, was not able to cope up with the resistance from the public and uh, it gets intensified, intensified from time to time. And by 2018, uh, the collaboration of external, like the diaspora community, European diaspora leading abroad, have been preserving the government. Uh, going to different diplomatic uh, opportunities, the youth, university students, these all have been together so that the old uh, region uh, was forced to come up with a reform. So uh, we have been in this situation. So civil societies have been trying to survive and reclaim their, their, their position that they lost for the last couple of uh, years. But now, after the COVID, uh, now the election is postponed. Even this election was uh, very contentious. I mean, there have been three uh, alternatives proposed by uh, political parties. One, to have the election as scheduled by August. Two, to postpone the election. Uh, 
uh, allowing the, the current government to continue for some time upon consensus of the stakeholders, the political party and the ruling party, and the, the third was to establish a transitional government. But the day Abiy came to power, he never agreed with this the concept of transitional government. And so these two options, among the, 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 the remaining two options, uh, the ruling party and some political parties opted the election to, to happen in uh, August. Even for August, civil societies were not that much ready, political parties were not ready. There have been challenges in security in different parts of the country. Uh, there is no rule of law. People have been killed. People have been arrested in different parts of the, the country. So this peace and security stuff have been challenging uh, political parties, civil society organizations, and social movement uh, leaders for the last uh, time. But, but now when this election is to be postponed, this is another headache. Even uh, two days before, uh, the government introduced four alternatives how uh, the election should be managed, what would be the fate of the country after September 13, because after September, uh, the end of September, the government term will end. Then, uh, even the day uh, that discussion went uh, among the political parties and the civil societies, uh, some political parties are coming to the media and stating that after uh, September Sarasa, the ruling party and we are, I mean women, I mean the, the opposition parties are equal, which means that they, they in no way accept the legitimacy of uh, the, the ruling party to continue, despite the fact that the ruling party came up with uh, four options, either to declare a state of emergency uh, for some time, either to dissolve the parliament and the, already the executive committee of the, 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 the prime minister to continue, uh, to amend the constitution and to interpret the constitution. This uh, state of emergency and early dissolution of the parliament as well as interpretation of the constitutions have been much criticized. I mean, they don't have that much acceptance by the majority, but some political parties and some civil society activists have been arguing that the constitutional amendment shall be the best way so that we could solve our issues for one and the last. But provided that we have this COVID, and provided that we don't know when we could control COVID, even it is very uncertain for us to put some, some time, like six months or 12 months, we don't know. We don't know what would it happen. But we have to decide until September that we need to have some mechanism so that the ruling party either to continue, the coalition of the ruling party and the opposition parties to come together and then to rule the country maybe for, for one year until the, the election is getting the election take place or, or we don't know. So COVID has really brought about a very serious challenge for the Ethiopian democracy. And bear in mind that the election that we scheduled for August was the first ever democratic election that we anticipate it to be because all the oppositions uh, are now here. All civil societies have got freedom of operation and many more democratic actors uh, working on voter education, election observation, post-election conflicts have been here. They had consultants, they have been giving training this and so uh, we have a very much credible uh, national electoral board. So this all uh, with the, the commitment of the ruling party to have a very fair and uh, a credible election have been 
something that we all were eager to see, but uh, this COVID has brought about this challenge in our democracy. Could you maybe tell me a little bit more about, you know, between the, the closed borders, the uh, closed schools, um, you've mentioned some of the challenges that to human rights that, that people are experiencing. Can you tell me a little bit more about how this crisis has impacted everyday Ethiopians? Ethiopia is a third world country. So uh, even if our economy is really growing fastest, I mean, we have the fastest growing economy in the world. But provided that we are more than 110, the economy can't feed us. So uh, we, don't, we won't have that stable income. So everybody is like making the livelihood on uh, a daily basis. And uh, because of the COVID, especially on the, on the first two, three weeks of the COVID, when some, some people were found positive in different regions of the country, some, we, some regional governments or counties uh, passed some kind of uh, legislation that uh, this uh, travel among one region to the other region were prohibited. Even in, in from one town to the other town was prohibited for uh, the control of the COVID. And even now, uh, many people are advised to stay at home. Uh, we have many people who are jobless. We have many people who, who have like spirit uh, people. Uh, those people working on some very small businesses on the street. Uh, and even those daily laborers and many more people are really in, in, in difficult situation to feed themselves. And the government didn't come up with a lockdown, provided that it would bring another unintended consequence than uh, controlling the COVID. Like if, if everybody is uh, obliged to stay at home, they have nothing to eat. So, uh, I mean, many use, many use even explain that. It is okay for me if I die of COVID, if I die, if I join of ISS, uh, if I went through the Mediterranean, or if some security people come and kill me because they don't have something to survive on. So these have been some of some of uh, the challenges. And the other challenge is also after the COVID, many people are staying at home. So there are many reports of uh, gender-based violence, including rape and uh, these kinds of uh, challenges. Schools are already closed. So every, every uh, school age children, university students, everyone is back to their home, which is really uh, another burden so that uh, many, many, many uh, uh, youth who were in school are becoming out of school. The challenge with this is the fact that most of public schools have been supported by the government. For instance, the government provides lunch, breakfast for students who are poor, whose families are very poor. So when these students are staying at home, uh, there is nothing that they could have lunch or breakfast, which was covered by the government, and the government didn't come up with a mechanism that these supporters could go to uh, the families of uh, the countries, uh, the, the families of these uh, this students. And this plus uh, some restrictions and the fact that we have been, for instance, uh, in a state of emergency in 2016, in 2017, and even when Abiy was coming to power, there has been a state of emergency declared. So the fact that those states of emergency were managed by a command post, which we call a command post, 
has brought about by precedent, by perception about uh, security people. And people don't need to see security people. I mean, wearing some, some, some police uniform and like that. And to change that attitude, the government came up with another uh, mechanism, I mean, another or, uh, organ with another name, Ministerial Committee. The Ministerial Committee is the highest organ to follow up the implementation of the state of emergency. But when it comes to implementing uh, the, 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 some of the requirements under the state of emergency and the directives, then it requires, it requires the interference of security people. But those security people are in the old mind. They are in the old mind. And they consider that because it is already uh, under a state of emergency, they feel that they can take whatsoever measure. Even if you see some of people who are being killed in connection with the implementation of the state of emergency, it is because of uh, lack of awareness of their mandate of uh, security people. And this really has brought about a uh, challenge of human rights. Uh, we are not able to freely travel and document the human rights violations. This all are breaking challenge uh, for our workers. Thinking, you know, you've talked a lot about the the upcoming elections and kind of thinking through what that might happen. Um, are you hopeful or are you anxious about the future of democracy in Ethiopia as you see or look to what happens after COVID? We have all the political parties. We have a very credible national electoral board. Civil societies have been given freedom. The government, unlike the past experiences in Ethiopian history, is very much internationally accepted. Like, we can take the case that our Prime Minister was the Nobel Peace Prize uh, awardee of the 2019, which really has implication. We have a very good a very good relation with uh, neighboring countries, with Eritrea, our long-term uh, enemy. I mean, uh, it is because of actually politics. Uh, it is not that Ethiopian people and Eritrea people have been friends, have been families, have, we have been living together. And now we, we, we came to resume that old... Uh, family relationship. We have good relations with Sudan, good relations with South Sudan, good relations with Kenya, Somalia, and many more. So, which means we have a very conducive environment. And the very challenge in the past was the fact that the incumbent governments were not either ready or are not committed for change or even even they don't create some conducive environment so that we could have some credible elections. So now we we already agreed that we will have election by August. It was the, the, the decision of the majority. Uh, even if we have been uh, trying to lobby uh, the decision maker that the election to be postponed to some uh, like November or October because August is uh, from June to August is the summer season in Ethiopia. A very huge rain. We don't have infrastructures. We need to see each polling station as civil society organizations. Political parties should tra freely travel to each district and uh, communicate with their constituencies and their, their voters. So, provided that we have this very poor infrastructure, making the election in August was the challenge. But if we push it, if we push it before after uh, September, it will bring about constitutional dilemma. So we agree on this, which means we 
have much consensus on the election to happen in August. Then, why is the election pushed back, pushed to maybe some six months or one year after August? It is because of the force major. And when this state of emergency was declared, the government has consulted political parties and civil societies what the what kind of mechanism we should do. And almost all political parties consented that we need the state of emergency to contain COVID because it is an international crisis. So now, had it been for the government's interest that the election was postponed after September, it would have been a challenge. So, which means that, which means that the postponement of the election has almost, almost the majority, the support of the majority of Ethiopian people, uh, civil society organizations, and uh, political parties. Then it should be that the government came up with four scenarios on how to have a government after September, because by September 30. The, the term of the, the ruling party will end. Then there should, there should come some, some mechanism that we have a government. In, in no way, uh, the government shouldn't be out of office because we need some 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 organ. Who, who is that? Then early dissolution of the parliament is not something that we recommend. Uh, declaring the state of emergency is also another challenge because if a state of emergency is declared, then how can civil societies really move? How can political parties do campaigning? Because political rights should be suspended. And then the third option was amendment of the constitution. But the day this reform came, and even one of the causes for this reform to come was the fact that we didn't have consensus on the constitution. So how can we come up with some kind of consensus on the constitution in this very short time until September. This is very unthinkable. I mean, we need to have a very independent, credible commission to come up with uh, the views of all and the views of everybody who has a stake in the Ethiopian democracy, in the Ethiopian uh, faith, should have a say and everybody should be considered for that amendment of the constitution is something that is not that much feasible. And also interpretation of the constitution is also uh, another scenario. We have been looking at the experience of other countries, uh, how they were able to interpret their constitutions, even, even if they don't have any kind of implication. For that, the constitution is clear on this. The term of office of uh, government is five years. Elections are periodic every five years, so it is very clear. But the problem is the constitution doesn't have any close uh, putting scenarios like this, COVID, uh, the challenge that we are in. So the better would be to interpret the constitution. But constitutional interpretation has also another challenge because in Ethiopia, constitutional interpretation is the power of the House of Federations which is the representative of Ethiopian nations, nationalities, and people. Bear in mind that the House of People's representative is composed of 100% the ruling party. The House of Federation composed of 100% of the ruling party, which even no single individual opposition party or uh, opposition, I mean, uh, individual candidate in the uh, House of Federation. And 
It is not the Corpus who interpret the Koranic so it is after all uh, the, the issue is going to the ruling party to decide in a way it likes. This is the argument and the fear of uh, many political analysts and civil society organizations. But the constitutional inquiry, the constitutional inquiry, which is under uh, the House of Federation, is composed of the, the Supreme Court president and vice president, as well as very renowned lawyers. Uh, which means that because the constitution is a political and legal document, we anticipate that these very renowned lawyers and the president and the vice president of the Supreme Court could come up with a very commendable recommendation. And the other challenge with the constitutional interpretation is the fact that we don't know what kind of recommendation would they come up. We don't know what kind of interpretation they could give after September. But it is better in terms of resource, in terms of timing, and what and we we have been trying to uh, discuss on this issue and today uh, we have been discussing what kind of position we civil society should have in this law because the constitutional we have this constitutional lacuna. And we give these discussions equal weight with the election. We need the election for peace. We need the election for our prosperity. And once this dislock isn't uh, smoothly transitioned to the upcoming long-awaited election, it would be a mess for us. But generally, uh, I don't have that uh, negative impression uh, on the election because we already pushed to August. We were supposed to have it May, but we pushed it to August. Consensus, even if it is not 100% consensus, but the majority of the political actors have almost similar understanding on why they did this way. So we pushed it, and it is an international phenomenon. Even we don't know how much the COVID could continue, maybe for the coming five months, six months, six, six, uh, maybe a year. We, we, we really don't know. We are now in uncertainty. So uh, many political parties are now focusing on the fight against the COVID, then making the, the political discussions uh, secondary matters. And for me, I don't see any, any but, any but. And it is also even a good exercise for our democracy. We really will test how much our government is committed to democracy. So far, we are very good. I mean, at least discussions are on the table. Different actors are coming up with different opinions, but this, this all are okay for now. So uh, for me, I don't anticipate any kind of uh, conflict or post-election crisis. Around the world, Ethiopia is very much seen as a potential democratic success story um, for all the reasons that you know we've kind of talked about back and forth here. What kind of support do you feel Ethiopia needs at this time? Uh, and what message would you send to others that want Ethiopia to succeed democratically? We have been in a very problem exactly two years before. We have been in at the verge of statelessness exactly two years before. Now the scenario is different. The perspective, international community, the international donors, and uh, many more democratic actors see Ethiopia is now completely different. So Ethiopia is now land of hope that 
we have a very progressive measures so far taken, even if there are lots of uh, limitations. It is this only is because of uh, inexperience, inexperience in democracy, inexperience in human rights. So, like, it is something that uh, progresses from day to day, and we don't expect the government to fix everything overnight. We understand this. We know the limitation. And the good thing that the government has toward the international community, toward the uh, citizens as well as civil society organizations and political parties is that the current government considers that everybody counts. Everybody counts. So they try their best to consult every stakeholder, civil society organizations, opposition parties, international community, uh, and also, as you know, Ethiopia is uh, the host of the African Union. Uh, the Economic Commission for Africa is based in Ethiopia. So Ethiopia is also the third diplomatic center next to New York and uh, Geneva, which means the international community what is, what is happening in Ethiopia very cautiously. And we have to look also the geopolitics, the, like the, job, the, the, the politics around the East Africa, you know, the, the, the politics around the North Africa, the, the, the Middle East and the North Africa, uh, the, the, the Arab world, this also. Uh, and also the Ethiopian position toward this, the Western desert, this all have been uh, amazing development so far. We have a uh, good international uh, uh, image so far, uh, and we, we, we wish this will continue. Even in this time of COVID, many international partners are showing solidarity to the government of Ethiopia. They are supporting local civil society organizations. And what I would like to uh, share to the international community uh, and anyone, uh, any actor who would be interested in what is going on Ethiopia is to support in any way they, 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 they like. So Ethiopia could be one of the best laboratories of democracy in Africa and even in the world. Uh, the diplomatic relation to bring economic uh, integration of East Africa and Africa uh, led by uh, the, the, the Prime Minister is really amazing. The, the, the diplomatic relation with different uh, ideological countries is really amazing. We have a very good relation with the Western, the Eastern, the Middle East, and wherever. Even in Africa, Ethiopia is also uh, on the top countries in terms of recognition and, uh, and reputation. So, what, what we need from the international community is to provide any possible support so that uh, Ethiopia could be an example of democracy and so that other countries could learn from Ethiopia. We have been, I, I, I try to mention that, we have been almost on the verge of statelessness some two years. Now we are becoming uh, almost world model in terms of transition. That was unthinkable. Uh, I mean, this is really great job that the Ethiopian government, the Ethiopian people, the Ethiopian civil societies, the academicians, everyone who has a stake in the, the international community has.
contributed for 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 this uh, situation. So this is what I what I would like to say. Masood, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to speak with us. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, supporting Ethiopian civil society, and we wish you all the best during this very trying time. Thank you very much. Thank you to Masood Gibeahu for speaking to us from Ethiopia. Stay tuned for more episodes in your feed on other democracy-first responders. Until next time, follow us at IRI Global on Twitter and subscribe to Global on Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, or however you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Munns. Thank you for listening to Global. Global.